you will join me now in the reading of our scripture this morning. It is out of the book of John. You can find it on page 105 in your pew Bible. And we are reading chapter 11, verse 32 through 44. And this is out of the New Revised Standard Version. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha. And the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus walked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, and his hands were, and feet were bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. We um, have started a new series, and we're in an interesting place in which I am imagining that many people in the room, you're probably like, I don't remember when we started this series with the snow last week. Um, but one thing I want to plug is one of the great things of um, technology, that when we're traveling, when we're sick, when we're on the road, whatever it is, um, we post our sermons online each week, and there's an opportunity to um, maybe you're like, I don't know what happened today. I don't remember checking in and really listening. And you want to revisit something, you can do that. If you're away, you can listen online. Um, and it's a great resource for some of our shut-ins and others who can't make it out. Um, but we're doing a series called Love, Ev Love Every Body. And I try to enunciate that way because it, it's true that we should love everybody. Um, but we're talking about bodies, about physical things, love everybody. And the reason we're doing so is we are kind of in that interesting time of the year where there's this convergence where we were just celebrating Christmas and that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And yet, when many of us look in the mirror and we start making New Year's resolutions, we don't always like what looks back at us. And we struggle to love ourselves and we struggle... Um, into the temptation that maybe I should just be about spiritual things and I shouldn't care about the physical world and any of that kind of line of thought. And so what I did last week uh, as just the little summary note was we talked about 1 John, which he, he, he gives this evaluation tool. How do you test whether a belief is from God or not? And he says that uh, everything that comes uh, from God 
professes that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and it is not from God if you have dissolved Jesus or if, if, if it's not centered around Jesus, the physical human being. And so some of us are tempted on our spiritual journeys to um, exclusively look at our spirituality and what's not physical, um, but Christ has come in the flesh. God has created uh, redeemed and will renew you. And so we're going to examine all these different aspects about um, how our physicality and how God's care for our physical world and things like that are at play in the Bible. And so one of the questions I had when I thought about doing this series is, well, you know, you see Jesus in the Gospels walking around healing a lot of people. Why on earth is he healing or resurrecting people who are going to die still? You know, it's because it's an interesting thought process of, for many people, they're like, well, I just wish I could be in heaven, and they just want to go into an afterlife, and they don't necessarily want to focus on the here and now. But Jesus is going around healing people who are still presumably going to get sick, going to get injured, uh, raising people from the dead who are going to have another funeral date. And that's an interesting thing. So why on earth would Jesus go around caring so much about healing and raising people up um, when this life is still going towards an, an, extra, you know, a, an expiration date. And so that was kind of the, the initial push into this text in which Jesus is still north of Jerusalem, still up uh, more in the Galilee region. When he hears news that someone that he knows, that he cares for, is sick, and they ask him to come down because they know, hey, he goes around and heals people, why don't you come down, heal Lazarus? And so you expect that he just goes to heal Lazarus, but instead you get a pause and a waiting of several days, and um, eventually he tells the disciples we're gonna go down there, and the disciples realize we're going down potentially to our own deaths because we know that we're not loved and we're not appreciated, we're going to be hunted down if we go down to Jerusalem. So they know that their own lives are at risk and they go down to see Lazarus. Um, and so that's where our story picks up is they are arriving to Lazarus's home and you can tell that things aren't going well, that people, you know, I don't know, nowadays we'd know because you'd have cars parked on the street that there's some sort of gathering. Um, you could tell by the way that people are dressed, and you could do that in this story, that they're grieving. Um, maybe there there's some animals tied up. Maybe you just see cloaks hung up. I don't know what, but you know something is going on. And so Jesus is confronted with the fact that Lazarus has died. And we have to ask, well, why in the story is Jesus going to raise Lazarus? And I think it's important to know that there's not actually just one simple reason. We have at least two reasons in this text. The first reason, it might be one you hear, it probably depends on what kind of tradition, what kind of church you grew up in, and which of these kinds of answers you're going to hear. But the first reason, why should I heal Lazarus, why should I raise him up, is a rational reason. It's a head reason, it's a thought process. Why should I heal Lazarus? for God's glory. Everything is for God's glory. 
We need to, to, to know the right things about who God is, celebrate the right things. And so we read in John 11, verse 4, when Jesus heard what had happened, um, the report about Lazarus being ill, he told the disciples, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Anybody ever had a really bad health diagnosis or an injury or something like that? And the, the first response is, well, this was for God's glory. It might not always be the best pastoral answer. Um, but there is an honest truth still at play in this. It's a head reason. But people aren't always necessarily in a head space, that that's not always the answer they only want to hear. But God's glory, why do we need to talk about God's glory? You've heard me give an illustration probably of what on earth does this glory of God mean? Glory is kind of a word that can mean reputation or weightiness, and I like to talk about the rooms weighted towards the person with the biggest reputation. You know, if um, you know, the mayor walks in the room, suddenly the, the room tilts towards the mayor, things like that. And maybe think about the earth. Not everybody realizes that things tilt towards God, uh, but that God's weight moves everything towards God, and we should properly understand that God is the reputation, is the person who deserves worship and praise, uh, and that everything should be angled towards God. Um, but why? Why heal Lazarus? For God's glory. And so that's, that's one answer, and it's going to get more explanation. Jesus told them plainly, John eleven fourteen, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe let us go to him. So glory is also attached to belief. I want you to recognize God's glory. I want you to believe in who God is. I want you to believe in what I am doing, you know, when Jesus is talking. And so there's this whole focus on belief. And that's really, you know, that really makes sense in the Gospel of John. I like to talk about the fact that each gospel has their own special word to talk about the spectacular things that Jesus does, the miracles. Uh, each gospel has their own little favorite word to describe these miracles. And Mark, they are acts of power. God is powerful. And so it's the Greek word that we take the word dynamite from, uh, that, these powerful acts. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it's these wondrous, these marvelous acts, that, this marveling at what is being done. And in Luke, he kind of goes through a couple words, but one of them is like the word for, that we get paradox from, that these unexpected, remarkable things. And in other places, he talks about these glorious things. But in the Gospel of John, why does Jesus do miracles? Why does he do a lot of what he does? For John, miracles are called signs. They are signs that point to something. They are signs that point to who he is, who God is, so that you might believe. And the Gospel of John in chapter 20 specifically says, hey, I wrote all of these things so that you would believe. I could have told you other stories, but these are written so that you might believe. And so it's not with you know, any surprise that John wants to emphasize God's glory and that people might believe through this healing and so in the conclusion, as we get further in the story, Jesus turns to Martha and he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So then they take away the stone. 
And I love the drama of this story. I'm pausing in the middle of this verse here, but they take away the stone, and Jesus does one of the most interesting prayers in the Gospels. And he looks upward and he says, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. So he's having this performance prayer of, hey God, I know that you wanna heal Lazarus here, but I need to make this prayer so that the other people around me understand what's going on. And so a lot of the story is, let's heal Lazarus because it will bring glory to God, it will bring belief in God and in whom God sent. But that is thankfully not the only answer, it is a very important answer but we need balance in our spirituality and in our life, and we have a second reason. Why heal Lazarus? There's an emotional reason. First, because Jesus loved Lazarus. In John 11, we hear at the very beginning when they send this message to Jesus, they say, Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And accordingly, uh, later it says, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after hearing that he was ill, he stayed there for a few days. It's important to tell this story with the preface, Jesus loves Lazarus and loves his sisters and loves the people in the story. He's not just making mental calculations, but there's also a heart angle of what's going on. And, you know, it's the only... Uh, those are the only people that you get explicit, like, per, you know, precise, Jesus loved this person in the whole Gospel of John. And there's probably a reason why in this story we need to pause to say, yes, Jesus loved them. And so, why heal Lazarus? Because Jesus loved Lazarus and was moved by the loss of Lazarus. And so it says later in John, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. And Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. So we don't have just this mental calculation of everything is just only about belief. But Jesus is deeply moved in the story. And I have to tell you another reason I love this passage is John 11.35 is, is known as the shortest verse in the New Testament. You get uh, Jesus wept in most of the translations. Here it's a little bit longer of an English phrasing. But part of the reason I love that is in undergrad, I had a Greek class that had an exam, and the academic people on high said, we need you to show up and actually take your exam during these exam times. And our professor didn't like that. He liked giving things that you would work on on your own and come and bring it and turn it in. So he gave us a passage to translate, but we had to bring it in and then we would have to still translate a little bit more. And he stopped the translation that we had to work on at John 11.34. And to those perceptive in the class, we realized, oh, I think he did this. I think he did it. And you show up, Jesus wept is all you have to translate in class for the final. And even though it's such a short thing, it matters so much that Jesus weeps for for anyone, that he's emotional, that it's okay to cry, that it's okay to be moved, that, that Jesus cares for those 
that he's around, that he cares for all of us. And so Jesus wept. And it reveals that God's not just this powerful God who, who doesn't have concern for the things that we're experiencing and just moves the pawn pieces around the board just because God can, but God also is emotionally connected to his creation. And that the God who heard the Israelites, you know, the, who heard the cries of those suffering in Egypt and would come and rescue, him, rescue them, that the God that heard the people throughout the book of Judges, every time they sin and they fall away, and then they cry out to God and God shows up, that here in this story, the people are crying out and they're lost, and Jesus is moved and goes to bring Lazarus from the dead. And so I don't, I don't think it makes sense to talk about why does Jesus heal, why does Jesus resurrect people without saying both of those things, that it's both a head reason and a heart reason, and you need both. That we, we kind of are faulty when we only think about one or the other. And I know that certain traditions or certain people, maybe you've gravitated towards one of those answers in your life, and maybe you know those people that, you know, like I said earlier, anything that bad that happens, you say, hey, stop worrying about it. It's, you know, God's in control. And certain people, that that really matters. They want to know God's in control. And certain people are like, how dare you just throw that around at me when I'm in pain? But there are other people who came from traditions that, that don't value as much on the, the head side or the intellectual side. And they're like, hey, everything should just be spontaneous. Don't think about these things. Don't think too much. Be a heart person. Both both trajectories are missing something when they're done alone. We need both the head and the heart. And so God created us having both those things. And both of those things are actually a part of our physical things. Those aren't just spiritual things about us, but our bodies are a part of why we think and why we feel. And we sometimes forget that. And I think part of the reason we forget that is we, we've come from a Western tradition that has focused on the fact that you are thinking people, and we've downplayed our physical selves, and, and you think back to Descartes, how do I know I exist? I think, therefore I am. You know, we think that that's what matters, that we are thinking things, and that that's abstract. But we have learned so much more that our thinking is tied up to our bodies, to our physical brains, that our brains physically change over time and we think differently as our brains change. And um, in, in my studies, I did a lot of studies on metaphors and how different parts of your brain are having to be connected through these kind of analogies and that you're making certain new neural pathways as you connect different ideas and concepts together and your brain is continually reshaping how it understands things. But we all know that our brain is physical and we sometimes forget that it's a part of our physical being. Um, everyone who's experienced trauma as a child knows that their brain has developed in ways that it might not have otherwise. Um, our brains are physical things that we, um, that we experience. Um, everyone who's experienced trauma and, and pain and, and, and brain bleeding and all of those things has known, oh yeah, my thinking is tied to this physical body that God has created. 
And while that one's probably harder for us to remember that, yeah, God made me a physical person that also thinks through my brain, our emotions are also physically tied. There's a reason why you have those butterflies in your stomach and you get nervous and you get anxious and your body starts not feeling quite right. And your nervous system that goes from that brain's part to, to your stomach, um, we experience both our, our thinking and our feeling through this, this, this body that was created by God. And we need both of those things. There's a reason we have both of those systems. And so we need a balance um, that appreciates the fact that we are both thinking and feeling people. And so when faced with the decision, do I heal Lazarus or not? Jesus has both things in mind, both the thinking and the feeling when he decides uh, to cry out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. I love that phrasing. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in cloth. I'm not sure if you're supposed to imagine him hopping out when he's bound, but here's the dead man out. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus chooses to bring life to those who are dead, both Lazarus and everyone else in the scene, all humanity, Jesus chooses life for all. And there's a goodness to life now. Like if there wasn't a goodness to life now, then this is just a painful, like terrible thing to do to somebody. Because you know you're talking about, well, they're in glory now. You know, like, if that's all that matters, man, that's not fair. Why'd you have to bring Lazarus back? But there is a value to our present life and to our present experiences, and living those experiences matter too. It's not just about the future. And Lazarus is raised to life now. But not everybody operates out of that healthy balance. And you might, not, you might have heard this story, you might not have heard what happens later in John, but in the next chapter, Jesus' religious opponents aren't exactly glad that Lazarus has been raised from the dead in the story. And so they hear about it, and it says when they learned that, that Lazarus and Jesus were there, um, they came out not only because Jesus, but they also wanted to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead, and so the chief priests planned to put Lazarus, Lazarus to death as well. So John's kind of entry into Jerusalem when Jesus shows up, they want to kill Jesus, but they also want to kill Lazarus. Since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. And so, purely out of calculation about thoughts of who believes what, other people show up in the story to harm, to kill, to end life, instead of Jesus who shows up to bring life. And so, Anytime, whether it's the people in the story or anytime that we do it, when we don't properly live out both our thinking and our feeling selves, we can be tempted to cause harm, to cause pain, uh, to hurt. And that's when we, I want to say, are playing God, but we're actually playing anti-God when we do those things. That the people in the story that want to cause harm, they're wanting to impose their power to hurt people. But I, I wanna close with, with an image for you. How do we do this brain and heart thing? Uh, there's a psychologist uh, who's at NYU who did this analogy. His name's Jonathan Haidt. 
uh, about the elephant and the rider, and it's shown up in several different like big works that are have been widely sold, and so his, his little concept has been popular through other people. But he talks about an elephant and a rider, and you think about if you just imagine a giant elephant in this room and a rider, the elephant is what looks imposing and powerful. And how on earth is this rider going to guide an elephant anywhere? Like, why does the elephant care about what the rider wants to do? Um, and if you think about your brain and the thinking part of it as the rider. It has plans for itself, it thinks it knows where it wants to go, and yet our emotional selves that are used to its path, that have its own feelings, are like the elephant. And maybe when you're around these New Year's resolutions times, you start thinking, how on earth do I do the things that I think I wanna do? It's like trying to move an elephant that's been on this path for so long, how on earth do I turn it? And so, in that image, how do you get both the rider and the elephant going on the same direction? And so we can't just appeal to our brain, our thinking part of it, or to our emotional part of it. We have to figure out how to get both on the path towards wholeness and towards life together, um, where, we, where we, you know, speak to both sides of ourselves and not just to one or the other. And so the rider um, needs right belief, the elephant uh, our emotions needs right motivations. And when we engage all of ourselves, maybe we start to find the path towards life. Um, but it's hard. And I just want to point that out. Of Part of that image is it's not easy. And so while Jesus rightly models in the story how to have a focus on right belief and how to, to be emotional in the right kinds of ways, we all struggle with it. But I hope that in the season, as you think about uh, who you are and your bodies and how God has made us, that you might remember that God has made all parts of yourself. Uh, some of us need reminding that it's okay to feel, it's okay to be emotional. Some of us need reminding it's okay to go study, to go learn, to go feed your brain's thought processes. And so if you're in this space I hope you find that you're, you're cultivating both parts of your spirituality. And I pray that if you've never walked out of the tomb, if you still feel like you've been bound and you're like Lazarus, the dead man, uh, that you hear God's voice calling you out into new life, saying, come out of the tomb. I want to unbind you from whatever oppresses you. And I hope that, uh, especially on this weekend of Martin Luther King Jr.'s kind of celebration, that we realize that we should have a care for everybody, that, that everyone who is entombed, we should be, have a heart and a mind for them. We should think about how to uh, call them out from the grave and into new life. And that it doesn't matter what, what your bank account is or your skin color or your religion or, or any of those kinds of things, but all people deserve um, dignity. And so I, I hope that we can all walk with Jesus towards Judah, towards Jerusalem, towards potential harm and discrimination uh, with the heart to heal people instead of to harm people. And so with that, if you join me in prayer. Lord God, you know each of the stories of everyone that is in this space. You know who is aching in pain over loss, over the loss of loved ones, over the loss of friendships, of jobs, of opportunities. You know who's aching uh, from feeling empty, 
for feeling like their life has no purpose and they can't imagine uh, where they are and what matters and, and their thinking is, 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 is a tomb. Lord, we ask that you would help to call us out of whatever tombs we've entered this space uh, from. Lord, we ask that you would help us to realize that your heart uh, is for life, is for goodness. Lord, that, that all of the world does tilt towards you. Lord, help us to give you praise and glory and honor, um, not just with our words, with our beliefs, but with our hearts and all of our being. Lord, help us uh, as we sing in just a moment um, to with both our minds and our hearts long for you and for your transformation. Jesus, it's in your name that I pray. Amen. The word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. The joy that there is in celebrating with the Father on the things that cover and make his heart rejoice. And may our hearts break for that which saddens.